You're listening to Ohio V the World because you like Ohio's history, but you're also going to like Ohio's music. Discover better music on In the Record Store. My name is Vince. I'm actually going to be on a future episode here with Alex talking about some rock history here in Ohio. It's fantastic. It's going to be going to be a great episode. So uh, when you're done with this, make sure you check out In the Record Store wherever you download podcasts. And now without further ado, give it up for the man himself. It is Alex Hasty, and it's Ohio V the World. Thanks to Vince from In the Record Store. Uh, and Vince is right. He will be joining us on our next episode we're putting together called Ohio versus Rock and Roll. Uh, we've got four different guests for that one, so having a lot of fun putting that together. Happy New Year's, guys. Today is episode six, Ohio versus the White Man. We're going to be talking about Tecumseh, one of the greatest leaders, the Shawnee Chief, one of the greatest leaders in U.S. history. Not just a great warrior, but a great leader, great speaker. Um, a visionary, and we'll talk about his um, 45 years on this earth back in the late 18th, early 19th century in what was called the Ohio country. Um, you know, his nemesis, and we'll talk a lot about in this episode, William Henry Harrison, who became the first president from the state of Ohio uh, in 1840. But as a young man, he spent a lot of his life as the rival, as the nemesis of Tecumseh. Um, but he had very high esteem for Tecumseh. And he says, you know, Harrison says, if not for the vicinity of the United States, he'd perhaps be the founder of an empire that would rival in glory the Incas and the Aztecs. Um, And they knew each other well, saw each other on the battlefield. Negotiations, heated negotiations we'll talk about. Um, But Harrison's a great person to ask because he was a tough-as-nails guy himself. And he had nothing but respect for, for Tecumseh today's the subject of today's show and one of the greatest Ohioans of all time. Um, our guest today is going to be Brady Kreitzer, professor at Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh, happy enough to join us in the host of a, one of my favorite history podcasts called Wartime. Again, Wartime with, uh, with Brady Kreitzer is an awesome show. Um, he just did a Tecumseh episode last year. He's also the host of Battlefield Pennsylvania. That's if you're in PA, but it goes across the state uh, Sunday nights at 9.30 on kind of the, the public TV there across the state of Pennsylvania. Very cool show. Um, so check that out, Battlefield Pennsylvania. Also the author of a number of books, an expert on this colonial period, Native American history um, in the late 18th, early 19th century. Um, really knows his stuff. Can't wait to have him on again. I'm planning on going back this summer, but when I was a kid, my grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Hasty took me and my brother and my cousins down to see Tecumseh. It's an outdoor drama in the Sugarloaf Amphitheater in Chillicothe, an area on the Scioto River where Tecumseh and the Shawnee uh, lived for, for much of his life, southern Ohio, along the Scioto River. And they have a, a play every, every summer. It goes from, from June to September. Uh, you can check it out at TecumsehDrama.com actors, battle scenes. It's incredibly well done. They've been doing it for years down there in Chillicothe. Um, it's a, basically a play written by Alan Eckert. He's a pretty famous uh, writer about the, old, about the Old West, wrote a book about Tecumseh. Uh, I just read a book of his called The Frontiersman, um, which talks about Tecumseh and William Henry Harrison. Um, but check it out. He wrote, uh, he wrote this Tecumseh outdoor drama. I'm going to go check it out this summer down in Chillicothe. It's a in pretty incredible Ohio thing to do. Uh, again, TecumsehDrama.com. Our beer for the episode today, we are 
Another beer from Platform Brewing here in Ohio, platformbeer.com. Um, they have a tap room and brewery in Columbus and Cleveland. Cleveland, their their main operation. But downtown Columbus opened uh, in 2015. Great spot. Uh, you can catch my friend the Meatball Mafia. Robert's there slinging food a couple nights a week. I want to say Thursdays and Saturdays. Um, but it's at 408 North 6th Street. Again, platformbeer.com. They make some incredible sours. Awesome beer. Rooftop patio on that place. It's a little too cold to enjoy it now. Uh, but go to platformbeer.com if you're in Columbus or in, since, or in uh, Cleveland. One of our best brewers here in the state. I wanted to thank them. They had my wife's charity, Miss Ohio V. The World's uh, Columbus Diaper Coalition. Uh, and they dedicated all the drinks there, that happy hour, um, to the Columbus Diaper Coalition. So thanks to Jacob Wooten, uh, one of the managers over there, for hooking that up. But Platform Beer, today we're drinking the Speed Merchant. Um, Tecumseh was known for his physical prowess, okay? He was strong. He was tall for his time, and he was incredibly quick. Um, you know, another Harrison quote, you know, for four years he's been in constant motion, he said. You'll see him today on the Wabash. In a short time, hear of him on the shores of Lake Erie or Michigan or on the banks of the Mississippi or wherever he goes, he makes a great impression. Um, he was quick, and he moved quick, and he packed so much into his 45 years of life. This is the Speed Merchant IPA. It's a white IPA. Uh, it really is one of their flagship beers. So it's 6.6% alcohol. It's got kind of a piney taste to it. Um, I'm enjoying one right now. It's pretty good. But definitely one of their best beers. Um, if you like a, an American IPA, check out the Speed Merchant, platformbrewing.com. Check them out in Columbus downtown or just on the near west side um, in Cleveland, just outside of Ohio City is where they have their brewery, tap room, all that good stuff. So check them out. And again, thanks to them for having the Columbus Diaper Coalition, and we'd invite them to have our charity. Um, just to, to remind everybody, we do uh, the podcast has a charity called the Ohio History Podcast Educational Assistance Corporation. Uh, it's a nonprofit. We raise money, and this spring we will be giving away our first scholarships. It's an audio or video essay about Ohio history. Uh, we are going to pick two winners uh, of high school seniors, going and giving them. Uh, scholarship money for their first year of school. So we'll get you more information about that. You can always email me at ohiovtheworld at gmail.com uh, to donate to the show and donate to the, to the charity and to the scholarship fund. But let's get started. It's episode six, Ohio versus the White Man. We're going way back to the 17, 1700s and the early 1800s to relive the amazing life of Tecumseh, the Shawnee Indian chief who ruled the ground in the Ohio country along the Scioto in Indiana, born here in Ohio. Um, he is one of the greatest leaders in United States history, and we'll explain to you why today. It's episode six, Ohio versus the White Man. Born in the year 1768, about eight years before our Declaration of Independence, 15 years before the end of the American Revolution. He's born, said to be born in a town called Old Chillicothe. Um, the Indians had a settlement near kind of present-day Xenia in western Ohio, about you know, 10, 15 miles from Dayton, um, although that wasn't founded for another 
until he was probably six or seven years old in the mid-1770s. Um, some scholars believe he actually was born near Chillicothe, uh, where the outdoor drama, the Tecumseh outdoor drama series is, um, along the Scioto. Regardless, born in the Ohio Territory in 1768. We ask our guest, Brady Kreitzer, what does that name mean, Tecumseh? Where did that come from? The best we can say in English uh, is uh, Panther Across the Sky. Yeah. Now, that's like not that's like an 80s metal band, you know? <laughs> that's, that's like... That's sky, a, sky Panther, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it has to do with... The, the, the physical animal itself is definitely part of it, but it has to do with this... This, this notion of coursing across the heavens, like a shooting star or something like that. I mean, it's not just, you know, panther in the sky, but it, it's, it's this, it, it's a whole image that conjures up. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's, you know, it, no, there is no such thing as exact translation, but that's the best we can really say. It's more of a, it engenders more of an emotional response as, as, as well as literally meaning panther shooting across the stars. The 17, late 17, early 1800s, a series of land grabs and land deals that always ended poorly for the Indians. Same year he's born, 1768, there's a very important treaty period that our guest Brady Kreitzer is really an expert on. But the British make a deal, ceding a ton of land, uh, but they make that deal with the Iroquois, who they considered to always made their land deals with. But it was for land that the Shawnees, like Tecumseh, who was, was born into, uh, were living. Tecumseh and the Shawnee disagreed land deals in general. You know, he's got this famous speech that he has to William Henry Harrison saying, sell a country. Why not sell the air, the great sea, as well as the earth, he said. Um, but it's these deals that always seem to go wrong. It starts with the Treaty of Fort Stanwix in 1768, the same year as Tecumseh was born. The Iroquois Confederacy is the dominant Indian superpower of the Northeast. The British love to do business with them exclusively because they have a, an agreement from the 1740s, which make them natural and perpetual allies called the covenant chain. And they're an empire. So anytime the British want to get something from the, the greater Indian world, the Iroquois are always their first go-to. They sort of use existing Iroquois channels of power to insert their own power. So 1768, the British have a great interest in moving West. That's the story of America uh, and they want the land south of the Ohio River. And you know, being in Ohio, you're talking about West Virginia and Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So the Treaty of Fort Stanwix very basically is uh, the Iroquois cede that land to the British uh, in, a, in a land deal. Uh, but you find very quickly the problem is the Iroquois don't live there. The Shawnee live there. The Iroquois believe the Shawnee are their subjects, so they can do whatever they want with the land. Uh, but the Shawnee have a major problem with that. And you start to see white settlers pour into what is today West Virginia, Kentucky. Again, the, the Ohio River is that border. It's the physical border between the Indian world and this new emerging British world. And hostilities begin almost immediately. But it's not the British hurting the Shawnee. It's the Iroquois really turning uh, their backs on the Shawnee. A few years later, 1774, there's a little-known little war called Lord Dunmore's War. It breaks out in kind of West Virginia and Ohio area. Um, Brady's got a great podcast in his third season about the American Revolution, about Lord Dunmore's War. But Lord Dunmore's in the American, uh, I guess it's really British with American soldiers fighting. Um, it's a war against the Indians. 
and a battle is fought in Port, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which is right across the river from Gallipolis. Um, it was a kind of an important up-and-coming river town back then. Uh, but at this battle in Lord Dunmore's War, the Battle of Point Pleasant, Tecumseh's father is killed. He's the first of many people in Tecumseh's life that were killed by the white man, which begins his hatred for white people, the long knives, pale faces, as he called them. We talked to Brady, again, an expert in, in this area uh, of, of time in American history, about Lord Dunmore's war and the death of Tecumseh's father. Governor of Virginia is John Murray. He's the fourth Earl of Dunmore. He is a diehard royalist. Uh, he disdains Americans. And one of the problems he's having is that he feels like in this 1774 revolutionary fervor, he's losing control of the colony. So he'll do something that politicians will do, maybe arguably till this day. Uh, it's that he'll uh, use a war to gain political support. You know, look here, not there. Right. And that's what this is. The Shawnee are angry about the Treaty of Fort Stanwix. White settlers are being are being killed as they move south of the Ohio River. Uh, and because West Virginia is still part of Virginia, and so is Pittsburgh in, in Dunmore's mind, uh, he launches an expedition uh, that's two-pronged uh, out, of, out of Virginia, one going through the mountains of West Virginia and the other out of Pittsburgh down the Ohio River to crush this, what he calls Shawnee Rebellion. Uh, and... The the armies will meet at Point Pleasant, which is uh, uh, today Point Pleasant, West Virginia, right right across from uh, Gallipolis, Ohio. Yeah, uh, and and it's this massive, enormous. It's one of my favorite battles. You know, if people being killed is your thing, it's one of my favorite battles. It's it happens in the fall. The leaves are fallen. It's 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 like yellow and orange, brilliant leaves everywhere, and there's just fighting involved. Um, and, and the way it goes down, the Virginians will end up, you know, winning after some extraordinary odds. Uh, but there's a lot to it. Puck Shinwa is killed in the battle. That's Tecumseh's father. That's something that will have a great effect on him. Uh, but that region and that area specifically, Point Pleasant, you know, at the time was believed to be the future of America. Many viewed it as another, another Pittsburgh, maybe the capital of a new colony in the West. And it's a very beautiful place. I was there last year. Um, it's more famous today from the Mothman prophecies, right? As that's where the the Silver Bridge went down. But that is a battlefield, and when you're in the town, yes, there's a town there, but the hills which the battle took place are still there. The ground rolls just the same. So it was a, getting back to the the crux of the question. It was a distraction for the governor of Virginia uh, to maybe get people away from interest in the revolutionary era. But he also wanted that land for Virginia, so. Yeah. The end result of that is a major land deal. Mr. Compass grows up, helped raised by, you know, Shawnee. His, his dad was a, was a low-level chief, and he shows a lot of promise. Again, well-sized, strong, fast, uh, really everything his younger brother was not, so we'll talk about. But we asked Brady just about young Tecumseh, growing up in, in a place that wasn't even a state then called the Ohio Country. It's important to note, you know, his father's killed. His mother dies in 1779 as well. And, and you could imagine for anyone, regardless of race or time period, losing both parents uh, is going to be a traumatic event. So he would be raised, you know, it's, it's a little bit um, misleading to say he was raised by his brother because at that point the village is raising him. Yeah. And that is not uncommon. 
you go into an Indian village during this time period, you'll see kids running everywhere and everyone's kind of watching out for each other's kids. Um, so it's very much like that. So Tecumseh, yes, lost his parents. It was traumatic, but it wasn't something that meant that his, his life was you know, going to deviate from whichever direction it was going. He had a younger, uh, he had an older brother, he had a younger brother, uh, early on, he is very popular because he's athletic. Uh, everyone talked about his natural physical gifts, his athleticism, and that translated to being an exceptional hunter as well as an exceptional warrior on the battlefield uh, from a young age. So you have you know, these early traumas in his life, but his his physical presence, and we're going to talk a lot about that as this goes on, his physical presence set him apart. Following the end of the American Revolution, in the, in the mid-1780s, uh, Tecumseh would have been a, a teenager at that time, but there's massive expansion into settlements known as the Ohio country. The state of Kentucky takes shape. Western Pennsylvania is, is settled. Places like Pittsburgh, Fort Pitt, as it was called during the war. Uh, and even as west, far west as Indiana and Illinois. These are lands where white people didn't go. These were lands owned by the Indians. Um, you know, and this kind of sparks what's known as uh, the Northwest Indian War, a series of, of battles that went on for years at the start of our country, really America's first war after the revolution. You know, there's battle like, uh, you know, battles like St. Clair's defeat. Uh, in 1791, you St. Clair, about a thousand men, Americans, marching uh, what's basically called Fort Recovery, Ohio, uh, on the western border with Indiana. Uh, men marching between Fort Wayne and what was called Fort Washington, present-day Cincinnati. But a thousand men uh, attacked by the Miamis and the Delawares and the Shawnees, three of the real big tribes here in Ohio. Uh, Little Turtle, the chief of the Miamis, and Blue Jacket, uh, the chief of the, of the Shawnees at the time. They attack St. Clair's men, uh, over a thousand men in his army, and it's said that only like 25 were unhurt. 600-some die. There's others wounded. A massive, massive loss for the Americans. Uh, President Washington's alarmed. Um, but this is the Northwest Indian War, a series of battles, this being America's largest defeat. Um, but we talked to Brady Kreitzer about, you know, the years after that um, of the Northwest Indian War, following St. Clair's massive, massive dis- you know, destruction of his army, um, we talked to Brady about the Northwest Indian War. Well, for Tecumseh, you could even go back to the Revolution. Uh, in the Ohio country, you had a smattering of Shawnee villages. And in Kentucky, you had new white settlement. So what happened in the Revolution uh, is that Kentucky settlers will raid across the Ohio River, kill the Shawnee. And that's the world Tecumseh lives in. They'll respond by raiding across the Ohio and kill the settlers in Kentucky. So he sees warfare all the time. That's really important. And the thing he doesn't see in the revolution, which he will see in the Northwest Indian War, is tribal nations unifying together. Uh, In the Northwest Indian War, you're going to have Little Turtle, who is a Miami chief, uh, bring in hundreds and hundreds of Indian warriors from dozens of tribal nations. And that doesn't happen in the colonial America really before this. We have the idea today of white versus Indian. You know, at first contact and in the hundred years after, you know, a Frenchman and a, and a, and a, and a Briton were as different as 
a Wyandotte, uh, and a Shawnee. Mm-hmm. So, so he had seen growing up what it's like to fight as separate nations caught up in the revolution. And it wasn't good. Um, the British very quickly, you know, made peace and, and signed away, uh, without consulting their Indian allies. So the Northwest Indian war, he sees this Confederacy come together. What, what Indians can do as one, you know, the Americans think of us all as one thing. Why don't we fight like that? And the results are catastrophic for the, for the Americans early on and really successful for the, uh, for the Indians. You have losses at the Wabash, you have losses at sometimes what's called, uh, pumpkin fields. That's Harmer's defeat. Um, you know, this is America's first war after the revolution. No one, it's funny how we forget these things, uh, in America and we were getting our clocks cleaned mm-hmm. and for president Washington, who's been involved in Indian wars, you know, since his, his twenties, uh, it's here we go again. So for Tecumseh, he comes of age there. He sees the potential, but he has to get other warriors to see that too. And that means work together. In 1794, the, the Northwest Indian War comes to an end at a battle called Fallen Timbers uh, near present-day Toledo, a place called Maumee, um, when the U.S. Army ended up routing the Native Americans there. Um, and this war over, you know, this area, the Northwest Territory that was given to us after the, the Revolutionary War, the Treaty of Paris following the American Revolution, uh, you know, kind of that area north of the Ohio River, east of the Mississippi, southwest of the Great Lakes, the Ohio country being part of that. Uh, the Indians are forced to sign a treaty in Ohio called the Treaty of Greenville after they lose to Anthony Wayne, Mad Anthony Wayne at the Battle of Fallen Timbers. It's a treaty that the elders of the Shawnee would sign, a treaty that Tecumseh and his generation would never accept. We asked Brady about the Treaty of Greenville in the Battle of Fallen Timbers. Fallen Timbers is pretty amazing. Uh, because it's one of the few times, and I mean few times in the history of colonial America and then and then now the early national America, when a, a white force defeats an Indian force. It, it very rarely ever happens. Part of the reason it happened uh, was because Anthony Wayne created the Legion of the United States, uh, which basically took the component parts of a, of a military force, infantry, heavy and light artillery, cavalry, which were always separate in an army, and put them in one strike force, 5,000 men. Um, whenever he sailed down the Ohio River out of effectively Pittsburgh and landed at, at what will become Cincinnati, he'll build Fort Washington, and then he'll move north toward uh, the, the, the Auglaise, which is where Little Turtle sort of keeps his confederacy, to comes us there. Uh, and... The Indians will, after some skirmishing, decide if we're going to fight this new fighting force, we're going to fight them on land we choose. And there was an area where a tornado had gone through uh, just a few months earlier, and there was trees down everywhere. And the warriors believed that this would be sufficient to stop all the moving parts of Wayne's army. It doesn't. Anthony Wayne has a stunning victory at Fallen Timbers. Uh, to me, it's the it's the end of it's the real end of the old way of life for the Indians in the Ohio country. There's no way around it because in 1795, the elder chieftains will sign the treaty of Greenville, which basically uh, tells all Indians, they have to leave the Ohio country forevermore. Um, And it, it, it immediately opens up settlement into what we know of us today as not only Ohio, but also where I'm from Western Pennsylvania, really important 
the elder chiefs all sign that agreement, but the younger warriors still want to fight. They think it's a betrayal, and that's Tecumseh's generation. Today, Brady Kreitzer, professor at Robert Morris University, author, uh, and also the host of the show Battlefield Pennsylvania, a uh, television show about he basically goes to different battlefields, you know, Gettysburg and uh, all kinds of battlefields in Pennsylvania. But he also did a great episode there um, at Presque Isle. He did one about, you know, something we'll talk about today about Oliver Hazard Perry. If you go back to season one, our episode four, we talked about the Battle of Lake Erie. Um, and he does a great episode on that. He does an episode about the Flight 93 that crashed in Pennsylvania on 9-11. A very cool show, Battlefield, Pennsylvania. Uh, but we asked him about his podcast, Wartime. That's how we started to know about Brady. Uh, in its sixth season, again, he's just a, uh, an awesome host and, and does a really great job with that, that show. You can check it out at wartimepodcast.com. Download it on iTunes, all that good stuff. Stitcher. Um, but we'd love some of our listeners to check out, if you like our show, uh, check out Wartime. Like I said, he's got so many episodes, you can really go and listen. Um, I listened the entire third season about the American Revolution. It was a really good one. So we asked Brady about, about Wartime uh, and about his, his love of history. I started that podcast in 2013. Um, and I was looking for ways of, you know, one, one of my callings has always been, uh, when it comes to history, I always believe, you know, the stories, as you know, are, are extraordinarily interesting. Uh, and somehow people manage to make it, it boring, which I'll never understand. <laughs> but um, I like to, you know, you know, I am a professional historian. I teach at Robert Morris University. Right. Uh, and if you look at, you know, like a, like a medical scientist, you know, they share their work with the world through through new procedures and things that really help people. And way too often historians just, you know, they write in journals that no one reads because no one can find them. Uh, and we only talk to each other. So for me, you know, uh, I thought a podcast was sort of a new way to short, sort of show not just my own research, but, you know, we've really come leaps and bounds in, in our understanding of the ancient world and, and the colonial world and everything in between. And that's really where... You know, I got the idea for the podcast. Just make it simple. Uh, I think you know, not everybody has time to read a book. Right. Uh, not everybody has time to, um, you know, to a deep dive. But everybody has forty minutes in their car on the way to work. Called Battlefield, Pennsylvania. That's on the Pennsylvania Cable Network, uh, and and that's you know this great show we sort of pitched and I, I produce and put out there. Um, where we go to battlefields, you know, everybody thinks of like Gettysburg when they think of a battlefield, right. when they have all these resources. And what people need to understand is that, and this is true for Ohio as well, you're never more than two hours from any battlefield. And every battlefield has an expert that could talk for days about it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, why not go there, you know, get these great high definition shots of the battlefield and sit down with these people and just pick their brain for an hour. So you can't get an hour to talk about history anywhere on TV the Pennsylvania Cable Network, which is based in Harrisburg, but but broadcasts all over the state, right. uh, was really receptive to the idea. So we go to the location, and you know, I sort of just get out of the way. 
Tecumseh is more than just a warrior. He said that in the beginning. He's a visionary. You know, we asked Brady about what makes him so different, but he has a goal of a pan-Indian nation, an Indian nation east of the Mississippi, um, an Indian nation where all tribes are under one, under one order. We asked Brady about, you know, what does make Tecumseh different, other than he was, you know, a fantastic warrior, obviously, um, and what made him such a great leader. He, he not only had, um, you know, he walked the walk. He was a great warrior, but he had a vision. And I think vision is so important. Um, you can compare him to uh, a lot of people who found nations. George Washington had a vision. It wasn't just about winning a war, but the war was a means to an end. And for Tecumseh, he, was, he, he said things about an Indian future which were hopeful which were promising. It wasn't just let's fight the war and see what happens. The war was just the beginning for him. There was a dream of a, an Indian nation here in North America. Now today we would sort of poo poo that, but remember at the time, you know, everything West of, of Ohio was really up for grabs. I mean, he had a dream of a nation of all Indian peoples, uh, with, uh, you, the Ohio River and the Pennsylvania border being its its eastern border, the Great Lakes being its northern border, and the Mississippi being its western border. And if you look at that on a map, you can see it. I mean, you know, take away our state boundaries, but you could see Tecumseh's vision. So he not only had, uh, you know, a means, which is his ability to lead and fight, but he had an end. He had a dream. And, you know, as we'll talk about later on in life, like we had in the revolution with the French, you know, he'll have a guarantor of that dream. The British government is on board. And if his war would have been successful, uh, that Indian nation was, and I can't stress this enough, was, was extraordinarily possible Yeah, because he would have had that, but he would have had the world's largest empire, the British backing him. And the Americans couldn't have done much, uh, to combat that. So it's, it's, it's amazing that it did go the way it did, the way his life will end. But he had all the pieces in place to really make this work. Tecumseh's ability to have other Native Americans flock to him, gravitate to him, is also helped out by his younger brother, Tenskatawa. We asked Brady about Tenskatawa, known as the Prophet. It's an incredible story. The partnership that him and Tecumseh start to begin to bring Indians of all tribes together and to making it much easier to, to have Tecumseh's vision of a pan-Indian nation. As, you know, these two growing up, it's like a sad story for him. His brother is athletic, handsome, popular. Uh, he is, his name is uh, Liliwathika, or Liliwathika, uh, which translates basically to he who blows hot air, <laughs> or like the big mouth, basically, we would say. Uh, he's all talk. And he's just, he's everything his brother isn't. Tecumseh's strong and has a presence about him. Uh, Liliwathika is short and pudgy and not attractive. Um, his brother succeeds on the battlefield. Liliwathika is a drunk. And, you know, as a child, he he's playing with an arrow. He pokes out his own eye, like literally pokes it out of his head. It was just this, guy, this guy is the ultimate, like, hard luck kid. And one day, as the story goes... He blacks out drunk, which was nothing new, but he wakes up and he, and he nearly dies. He goes into something like a coma 
and he says he he has heard from the master of life. The master of life is this interesting sort of monotheistic Indian god that they all tend to um, believe in. And he says, you know, there is a way to to win back your land or to keep your land, and it's to completely shun white ways. Don't wear white clothes. That's one thing we have to change our mind about how we think of Indians. Tecumseh would have worn pants. He would have worn a button-up shirt. He would have dressed like a European because the frontier is its not so much a place where worlds collide, but it's a place where worlds blend. So as you'd see white settlers wearing buckskins, you'd see Tecumseh wearing European clothes. I mean, it's just something that happens. So he starts dressing like Indians hadn't dressed in 100 years. Uh, he doesn't use a rifle or a musket. He uses a bow and arrow. Um, he goes out of his way to overplay his Indianness. Uh, he stops drinking alcohol, which is pretty amazing because that's what gave him his vision in the mm-hmm. first place. Um, but he gets a following. And he has an ability that that Tecumseh doesn't have. And it's this – it's hard to say, but some people respond to Tecumseh's style of quiet, strong leadership. And some people need that uh, sort of religious fervor. Uh, and the spiritual side of it's important. So he does start this revival movement. Tenskwatawa means the open door. And you can just – that drips symbolism, the open door. From the big mouth, the loud mouth, to the open door. But his message resonates – in all the tribes. And it's really important. There is, you know, when we think of tribes, it's not like there's a a main chief that everyone follows. Every village in the Ohio country is its own, is its own entity. So whenever he gets Wyandotte warriors or, or, um, Miami warriors, he's going village to village and giving long impassioned speech. I mean, he's winning these people over in the long way. He's not winning over one person and they all follow. So we can't stress enough how gifted he was. We recently had a um, an eclipse here this fall, and you know, eclipse mania, the glasses, and everyone checking it out. There was a huge eclipse in 1806 that played a role here. Um, another Ohioan enters this story, and it's William Henry Harrison. Later, would go on to be known as Old Tippy Canoe. Uh, it was our, I believe, ninth president in 1840. Although he died shortly after being, becoming the president, he was Tecumseh's foil. Born in Ohio, uh, raised from a very, very prestigious Virginia family, the Harrisons. Um, they knew George Washington. Um, but Washington's president, and young William Henry Harrison becomes the territorial governor of Indiana. And he's snatching up land, and he runs a very, very, very brutal campaign against the Indians and even against other settlers to kind of mold the West in, in his own image. Uh, but he inadvertently... In an attempt to discredit Tenskwatawa, Tecumseh's brother, um, he makes him a superstar in the Indian world. Uh, and we asked Brady about you know how the eclipse played a role in that, and how Harrison just through just a slip of the tongue made Tenskwatawa a hero. President during this time, eighteen oh one to eighteen oh nine, is Jefferson, and Jefferson has this vision. He sells to Americans that we're going west. Uh, Louisiana purchased all that in a peaceful way. The Indian problem will take care of itself. Americans love to eat that sausage, but they don't want to know how it's made. And William Henry Harrison is the territorial governor of Indiana. He's the one making the sausage. He's doing the dirty work. And he treats Indiana like a a Game of Thrones style Mm -hmm. fiefdom. You know, we have evidence he murdered American citizens using government 
agents, things like that. This is not, this is a guy who breaks the rules. Okay. That's important to put up front. Uh, so one thing that Harrison sees, uh, he sees these thou- like over a thousand warriors from different tribes coming together. He knows that's not normal. So he tries to undermine what Tecumseh and Tenskwatawa are doing whenever he can. And he writes a very famous letter uh, that says, don't follow this man. He's no prophet. Uh, he says, has the Indian God given you all different tongues, different languages? Why is that? Because you're not meant to be one thing. He says, ask this prophet uh, to black out the sun. Ask this prophet to change the course of the moon and the stars. Ask this prophet to alter the flow of the rivers. And he writes this thinking none of this will happen because, mm-hmm. you know, that's crazy. Uh, so he writes it down. Some, you know, maybe pro-American Indians challenge Ten Squadawa to do this. And sure enough, 1806, he puts on a ritual and uh, there's a solar eclipse. By all accounts, it was a legitimate and we just got out of eclipse fever ourselves, right? Yeah, so we know right. what it looks like here. It happened, you know. Um, how did he do it? Uh, well, he he made it happen the same way that the Weather Channel made this last one happen. Um, he probably just had an understanding of, you know, the celestial movements uh, of the heavens. And that sounds bizarre, but, you know, that's understanding that the skies are a constant. I mean, you can predict eclipses for a thousand years because they're always going to be there as long as everything moves the right way. And, and it seems hard for us to believe that he knew it. And it was sort of a Hail Mary, like the band was definitely on the field for this, (laughs) but it, it, it happened, you know? Prophet, his brother Tenskatawa, they blow up. They're huge. Families and warriors begin surrounding them. Um, they're growing popularity. It's not just among the Shawnee, other Indian tribes. Tecumseh goes out and meets with other Indians and, and, and tells them about his vision and how they're going to fight the white man and how they can win if they all work together. And they have the spiritual side with the prophet. Um, and they have the political and military side with Tecumseh. But we asked, they all kind of moved to this settlement in called Prophetstown in Indiana. Um, I think Brady calls it the, you know, the Shawnee's own little Woodstock, Tenskatawa's own little Woodstock, he called it. But we asked Brady about, you know, kind of the booming boomtown, Indian boomtown of Prophetstown. These warriors are living in Ohio, today's Ohio, which they weren't allowed to be in as a result of the Treaty of Greenville. Tecumseh kind of rallied them there as, as a, maybe a middle finger to the U.S. government. He moves them uh, to the uh, intersection of the Wabash River and the Tippecanoe, uh, which is what he'll call Prophetstown. This is in the quote-unquote Indian Territory. So now Tecumseh realizes we have a lot of followers. We have to be smart about this. Measured, give ourselves space to grow and to plan. And that's how that move happens. One of the reasons I think Tecumseh is still revered even in modern American society, is that you know, he, he had blood on his hands, but he was forced into these battles. This is someone who loses his family, his brothers, his mother, his, his father, all killed by American settlers, by white men, who've come to his territory, and they just keep taking and taking and taking. 
You know, his choice was made for him. You know, there's no surrender. There's no back down. He draws a line in the sand and says that this is, we will go no further. We shall remain, as he famously tells Harrison. Um, but the elders of the Shawnee Nation are making deals. They've fought this battle. They've lost to the white men. They see the writing on the wall of the expanding United States of America, this new country. But Tecumseh draws the line saying he fights it, but there's a split in the Shawnee Nation. The elders take a majority of the population, they move out west, places like Missouri, Illinois, even further, to be away from all this conflict and bloodshed. Especially following this Treaty of Fort Wayne that William Harrison uh, maneuvers, I guess you could say. Um, you know, he's doing this under for President Jefferson. Some people call him Jefferson's hammer. Um, but we asked we ask Brady about, you know, the split and also about, you know, the Treaty of Fort Wayne and how that ultimately leads to one of the most famous battles in early American history. To 1809, um, we see the Treaty of Fort Wayne. And the Treaty of Fort Wayne sells something like 3 million acres of land. Uh, it's crazy. And this was land that was supposed to be Indian land. Uh, this was a deal brokered with the very, very elder sachems or chiefs of the, of the, of the tribes. And this is Tecumseh's moment. Because Tecumseh had always been telling people who were on the fence, you will always lose. They will always take more land. Even if they give you land, they still will take it. Don't listen to the elders. You know, they want peace. I'm telling you, I've seen it. And whenever that happens, that blows the lid off of it. It's very clear to all the warriors at that point that this is what's going to happen. Tecumseh's been right all along. And these elder chiefs who have fought in the Revolution and the Seven Years' War before that uh, and the Northwest Indian War, they know it too. So they think peace may be the way. They start wearing white clothes and changing their names and some become Christians. And for Tecumseh, that is never the answer. And the Treaty of Fort Wayne kind of reveals to everybody it's one big swindle. It's one big game. You have to fight. It's the only way. Yeah, there's kind of a split between the older chiefs of the, you know, the Shawnee Nation, uh, you know, splits and leaves uh, half it and they stay, some say it was Tecumseh and the warriors and some actually take the, the tribe and move out west even further out. It's politics, you know, we we all have reasons, we think the way we do and vote the way we do and, you know, the elder, it's very hard to go against your, your elders. Yeah. Um, they are talking from experience. They fought this war before and they lost and they're trying to save whatever they can. You know, they always say revolution is a young man's game. And, and at this point, Tecumseh is the one who's inherited this fight. And he's the, he's, you know, the most effective of them all. As Tecumseh's forces and William Henry Harrison's forces continue to skirmish and battle it out in, in Indiana, um, and they build their armies, Tecumseh goes to meet with him at Grouseland which is a place called Vincennes, Indiana, where, where Harrison made his home. Grouseland was kind of his property or his mansion and all that. And Harrison's surrounded by his troops, and Tecumseh brings a bunch of warriors with him for this meeting, which gets really tense, nearly comes to blows. Uh, there's famous paintings about it. You've got to check it out. We'll put that one of those on our cover. Um, the painting of the meeting at Grouseland. This takes place, I believe, in 1811. 1810, 1811, um, we asked Brady about, you know, a really historic meeting in U.S. history between William Henry Harrison and Tecumseh. They come face to face. This is where I think, you know, a lot of my admiration for Tecumseh comes from. Some people are really good diplomats 
and some people are really good generals, but you almost never find them in the same person. You know, George Washington was um, a really good uh, leader on the battlefield. Um, he knew when to cut and run, these kind of things. We didn't really know how good of an administrator he was till he became president later. Tecumseh did both at once. He goes to this meeting with several warriors, and and it's very clear. Uh, Harrison has the numbers. Harrison's wearing a, a uniform. He's got armed guards with him. They're at this mansion in, in Vincennes. He's trying to intimidate uh, Tecumseh very clearly. And by all accounts, Tecumseh stands up, states his case. We're not leaving. Uh, we shall remain is what is very famous. You know, his one of his lines, uh, Harrison stands up to confront him and they stand in a, in, a, in an old fashioned stare down and they, you know, they argue their points. They don't waver. Neither of them do. Uh, Harrison eventually says, I'm done with this and walks out and then Tecumseh and his warriors leave. But it's, it's that moment, you know, so many chiefs have signed away the legacy of their people at that point, not just in Harrison's time, but from the 1730s onwards. And Tecumseh is the line. He is the, the line in the sand. He will not budge. And it's very clear that, you know, avoid fighting when you can, but this is going to come to blows. It's following that confrontation at Grouseland is the Battle of Tippecanoe. You know, it's still talked about when Harrison is elected in, in 1840. Tippecanoe and Tyler too is the big saying. Uh, old Tippecanoe, they called him. Tecumseh was not actually at the Battle of Tippecanoe. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that the attack happened in the first place. Um, but the warriors were at a severe disadvantage without their military leader there. They were led instead by Tenskwatawa, the prophet, and he led them into disaster. We asked Brady about the Battle of Tippecanoe. Harrison believes. Harrison is, I, I would say he's smitten by Tecumseh. Anyone who meets him is. Um, and Harrison understands the power this guy has. And he knows that at this time, and this is because Tecumseh stops on the way, Tecumseh is going into uh, on a journey of recruitment for more warriors. He recruited the entire Great Lakes. Why not try Tennessee, Georgia, the Carolinas, Florida? Uh, that's the realm of the five nations of the South, the Chickasaw, Choctaw, Cherokee Creek, and Seminoles. Why wouldn't they be responsive? They're being uh, disenfranchised too, so to speak. So he goes to the land of the of the midday sun. That's what the, the, the Indians call it. Uh, and this is for Harrison is his chance. He knows Tecumseh is gone. He knows only this, you know, sorcerer brother is in charge of the of the of the hundreds of warriors of Prophetstown. And he believes that this is the time to strike. If there is a battle, Tecumseh won't be there. Uh, and it's very likely they can just force them out. Because uh, Tecumseh had told him, Tenskwatawa has very clear orders never to lead men into battle. That's not his thing. So you're going to see uh, William Henry Harrison write a letter to Washington. He's going to begin his march after he gets approval. Uh, they're going to get within about a mile of Prophetstown. And he's going to send a, an envoy with a white flag to tell the Indian warriors of Prophetstown, which was a temporary town. There was nothing there before. This was just their Woodstock, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and he tells them to leave. They go back to Tenskwatawa, and Tenskwatawa says, listen, we're not going to leave, but we're not going to fight. 
I have clear orders that we're not going to do this. There was a group of um, Western Algonquian Indians. We're not sure exactly what tribe that say that's unacceptable. We came here to fight. And that was true. We didn't come here to bargain. We didn't come here to be slowly removed. We came here to fight. So they start to kind of pressure Tenskatawa. Let's go fight now. They're, they're a mile away. They're sleeping. We don't have as many people as they do, but we can strike them at night and surprise them. And that's a classic Indian tactic. Tenskatawa finally caves. Tecumseh never would have cave to the warriors and quite frankly they probably wouldn't have pressed him the same way uh but to make matters worse Tenskwatawa, yeah i hate to laugh puts a spell on the warriors that that american bullets can never hurt them uh that's not the time will tell that's not true um and they lead a raid in the early hours um in 1811 and the fight happens uh the americans are surrounded they don't know how many warriors there are Part of the reason the warriors are raiding them is because they don't have as many people as the Americans. The fight goes on too long. Indian raids are designed to happen quickly, do a lot of damage, and end quickly. And if they go on a long time, that gives the conventional army the advantage. The sun comes up, Harrison sees he has a tremendous numbers advantage, uh, and the Battle of Tippecanoe sort of ends. Uh, it's a it's a disaster for the Indians. As it turns out, the American bullets can penetrate their skin, uh, and many of the warriors turn and, and leave. Um, they don't be- believe in the cause anymore. Their spirit is broken. Tecumseh comes back and has a big blow-up with his brother. And a lot of people kind of view that as the ending, but in a lot of ways, it's it's just round one. War of 1812 begins. Again, you can go back and listen to uh, our first, our fourth episode, Ohio versus the British Empire, last season, to learn more about the War of 1812 in Ohio. But the Battle of 1812 begins, or the War of 1812, and Tecumseh joins forces with the British, many of the Indians, but his confederation of Shawnees and Miamis and Delawares and Chickasaws and Wyandots, these Indians all joined forces with the British. And they begin, he begins leading the war effort in the West. It's really the Canadians and the Indians, um, at least for the first year or two, uh, before the British really come in. When the British come in, they still they focus more in the East, in places like Baltimore, the burning of Washington in 1814. That was done by British soldiers. This was more Canadian soldiers. Um, but the Canadians and the Indians are immediate allies. And his British counterpart was a very famous Canadian war hero named General Isaac Brock, Sir Isaac Brock. We ask Brady about, about Isaac Brock, General Brock, and his relationship with Tecumseh in the beginning of the War of 1812. Uh, Brock is in his 40s when the War of 1812 starts. Um, it's really important we stress, you know, Canada is part of the British Empire, but the War of 1812 was not America versus Britain. It was really America versus Canada for the first for the first two years. And Brock is like one of these shooting stars in the military uh, in the region. Uh, he's a handsome guy. He's a notorious womanizer. Uh, he's never married. 
Um, he's charismatic. He's six foot two, which is tall for then. Yeah. So he's just one of these like natural. He's kind of like Tecumseh, quite frankly. He's one of these natural leaders that draws people to him. He's magnetic, and he writes that. You know, he's met with many Indian leaders, and Tecumseh is someone who would be who would impress anyone on earth uh, with his poise and his stature and the way he commands his people. After Tippecanoe, rather than just ending it, Tecumseh went on those recruiting missions again to win those people back. And that's the force that will side with the Canadians in the War of 1812, because the Canadians have a big border to protect. They not only have to protect the St. Lawrence River Valley, uh, which is New York and Vermont, uh, all the way up to Maine, um, but they also have to protect uh, the Ohio frontier and the Michigan frontier. And, you know, when the War of 1812 starts, like, this is crazy, but there's only 100,000 people total in Canada. Mm-hmm. So that's not soldiers. That's men, women, children, the elderly, 100,000. That's what you could fit that in the horseshoe, I think, right? 100,000. Exactly, yeah, 110. <laughs> That's the entire population of Canada. So they need Indian warriors to defend the frontier. In August of 1812, Brock and Tecumseh have the mission of taking the city of Detroit in the Michigan Territory, Fort Detroit. Um, There's still a number of Indian tribes that had refused to take sides at this point, thinking it's just yet another another in a long line of battles and wars uh, between Tecumseh and the Americans. But Tecumseh's victory at Fort Detroit, really one of his crowning moments in military history. Um, It shows that hundreds and thousands of Indians, that that victory is possible. That by joining with the British and fighting this war, that Tecumseh can possibly achieve his goal of a pan-Indian nation in North America, recognized by the British government, recognized by Europe, its borders secured with Canadian and British help if we can all join together. But it's the Battle of Fort Detroit um, that shows that it's possible that Tecumseh might just be able to beat the United States. Uh, Detroit is a long-standing locus of power in the region from the earliest French days. Uh, The American that commands it is a commander named Hall. And he, you have to understand for people on the frontier, he lives in, he's new to the frontier. He lives in utter fear of Indians. Because he's heard of Indian massacres and atrocities that occur during Indian War. Uh, and that happens. It's part of Indian War. I wrote a book called War in the Peaceable Kingdom. We, I, it's some really gruesome details that a lot of people tend to leave out. I don't, simply because the people that wrote them want us to know this. Um, but Hall is, is just mortified by the idea of being captured by Indians. Fort Detroit is gigantic. It's enormous in terms of its, its importance. So uh, Tecumseh has a pretty good idea uh, of what Hall's capable of, and he doesn't have a lot of warriors. So what he does to capture the fort is uh, he leaves you know, half of his men in the forest, and he walks about half of them into the clearing, and he has them walk in a big circle. They walk out of the forest and into the forest, and then out of the forest and into the forest. So the same you know, 100 guys are just walking in a circle, but it looks like there's a thousand Indian warriors uh, because for Hall, he doesn't notice it's the same people over and over again. He just sees scary Indians and he surrenders. He totally surrenders the fort. Uh, there's not a shot fired effectively. I think 19 people die total out of the whole fort. It's a, it's a, it's a tremendous embarrassment, probably the most embarrassing defeat in the history of the American military. 
So the war continues in 1813. Um, General Brock is killed. He's replaced by a general named General Proctor, who's not nearly uh, as strong, doesn't get along with Tecumseh nearly as well. The war continues, and in the West, General Harrison, uh, his forces are holding on in, in northwest Ohio. Um, we asked him about you know, how the victory at Battle of Lake Erie, as we talked about Oliver Hazard Perry's victory on the water there at Putin Bay in Ohio, how that played an effect um, on the War of 1812 and really on Tecumseh and his battle against the white man. When, when Lake Erie ends, major American victory, uh, it coincides with a couple different events. One is that Brock will die. He's killed at the Battle of Queenston Heights, which is on the Niagara frontier uh, near Niagara Falls. And a new commander named Proctor takes over. Um, and he has very little interest in defending the Michigan frontier. Uh, and, and the Battle of Lake Erie kind of convinces him that it might not be worth it. So he puts much more of his focus in the east and starts to withdraw resources from Tecumseh. Tecumseh, that's his home. He's not leaving. That's his fight. Uh, but the British strategy, you know, whenever Brock dies, it's the commander's prerogative to decide where he wants to fight this war. And that's where you start to see shift. William Henry Harrison comes back on the scene. He leads men from Ohio and Pittsburgh and Kentucky uh, into the Michigan frontier, and he wants to invade Canada. So that's the major change. It kind of breaks the spirit of, of the Canadians as far as defending Michigan goes. Proctor and the British at, at Fort Detroit, supplies are cut. Supply lines are cut when they lose control of Lake Erie. And they eventually give back the Fort of Detroit, the Michigan Terry, and they pull back into Upper Canada. This is where Tecumseh's war kind of falls apart. It's called the Battle of the Thames. In Canadian history, they call it the Battle of Moravian Town. Um, but it is where Tecumseh will meet his end in 1813. In October, October 5th, 1813. Harrison and his forces, they're much larger. They're stronger than the British and Indian uh, allies. But the Indians are, are almost fighting this alone. General Proctor has kind of forsaken them. He continues to retreat and retreat. Um, and he's going back towards York, which is Toronto. And the British, as they set up for this battle, they file a, you know, fire off a few rounds and a few volleys. They never even use their cannons. And they're forced from the field, leaving Tecumseh and his Indians to battle it out with Harrison's army. He's killed at the Battle of Thames. And we ask Brady about his death, about that battle, and its consequences for Tecumseh's war and the idea of, of a confederation, a pan-Indian nation. The Battle of the Thames occurs when William Henry Harrison, Tecumseh will retreat across the river into Canada. Harrison will invade Canada. The British, who basically encourage this fight, will, as the fight's about to start, pull out of the battle. Tecumseh gives one of the great speeches of all time. He calls them coward. He calls them fat. He calls them lazy. He says, it's one thing if you don't want to fight, but we're not going anywhere. Leave your weapons. We'll use them if you won't. I mean, he like shames them. And they do. They, they, they leave them. And Harrison's men invade. The battle happens. Tecumseh's death kind of shrouded in mystery. Uh, he dies surrounded by his warriors. And, you know, he he is mutilated. His body is mutilated by Harrison's men to the point where they, they can't recognize him. They cut him. They burn him. They, they 
stab him. They they shoot him repeatedly. Uh, his body is is they they go out of their way to destroy this man. Uh, we don't know where he's buried exactly. There's a lot of mystery, but he he goes out on top. He goes out for the cause. He's not one of these people like, for example, like a Daniel Boone, uh, who moved into Kentucky, was the great frontiersman, and dies broken and poor. Uh, he went out at his zenith, you know, fighting for his cause. But it was a gruesome and terrible death, and they knew what they were doing when they mutilated him. Um, they wanted to erase him, and now we have statues of him. So. killed by a man named Richard M. Johnson, who would go on to become the, the vice president under President Van Buren. Um, there's a great, if you ever listen to the, <clears throat> the history show, The, the Dollop, it's uh, two comedians from out in L.A., they do a great show called The Dollop. They actually talk about him, Richard Johnson. They have an episode uh, about Richard Johnson as the worst vice president ever. You really got to listen to that one. He really was a piece of work. But he's credited by many to have been the one who killed Tecumseh. On October 5th, 1813, Tecumseh was 45 years old. Um, you know, there's a mystery still surrounds his remains. Um, you know, he's a Canadian hero. He's a hero even here in Ohio still. Um, but there are many who say that, that the Shawnees, all those bodies mutilated, they came in and grabbed him and buried him on an island, you know, in Lake Erie. All kinds of different theories about where Tecumseh's remains are. Um, but his dreams of an Indian state are dead. They bet everything. They gambled everything on the War of 1812, and the British bailed. You know, at Battle of the Thames, you're looking at nearly 4,000 uh, in Harrison's army against basically going up against 500, 600 Indian warriors, especially after the British uh, flee the battlefield right at the beginning. Tecumseh's war, Tecumseh's Confederacy is over. We asked Brady about the end of the War of 1812, the effects on Native Americans here in Ohio and the rest of the Midwest. The War of 1812, you know, does go on without him. There's many Indian nations fighting across North America that aren't necessarily tied to him. Um, it's bad for America. The, the Washington, D.C. is burned. The White House is destroyed. Um, it's not good. It's not good. The, they, the two sides make peace, Britain and America. In the Treaty of Ghent, what they agreed to is status quo antebellum, which is basically means the way it was before the war. Let's mm -hmm. pretend this never happened. And and we always taught it that way. It was a war that most people can't tell you why it started, and they definitely couldn't tell you how it ended. Um, but now we know for the Indians, you know, we say there always there wasn't really no loser, but there was a loser, and it was them. They lost millions of acres of land. Uh, they were punished and driven out of their ancestral homelands for, for decades after the War of 1812. They were all in in that war because the British were going to recognize their free territories and they lost. Um, the Indian fight will go on for another century. I mean, you know, you look at uh, the little big horn in 1876. Uh, that's, that's way down the line, uh, 50 years, 60 years later, you know? Um, but Tecumseh will always be to me, you know, Indian resistance, the Indians could view this as one long war from the 1750s through Tecumseh. But they never had the leadership with the vision and a, a real true attainable 
earth-changing goal like they had with Tecumseh. I love playing what-ifs when it comes to history. Man in the High Castle, a show on uh, Amazon, you know, about if the Nazis and Japanese had won World War II, uh, what America would be like. You can ask the same question about what if Tecumseh had realized his dream. If the War of 1812 had gone a different way, Tecumseh's dream of a pan-American or pan-Indian nation, nation-state recognized, you know, in the Midwest, it could have been. It was very possible. The war could have gone that way. And for a time in 1813, it was going that way. Uh, it's very possible parts of our own state of Ohio would be in this, would be in this pan-Indian nation. We asked Brady just about, you know, the what-ifs of history. Um, you know, surely another war would have been fought, you know, with the Americans with their seemingly endless supply of people and arms. Um, but we, we just like to ask, if we ask him one last time, uh, he's been a great guest for us, but what if, what if Tecumseh had achieved what he set out to do? I, I think if America loses, when the British sued for peace, they were winning. Uh, that's really, I, I mean, Washington DC was destroyed. They didn't capture Baltimore, but if, if the British get a victory, you know, they're going to reclaim that land. They would have given Tecumseh his, his land, which is Michigan in Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, huge piece of America today. Um, they probably would have almost certainly faced another rebellion, another American revolution shortly after. Uh, and who knows what happens then, but you know, it's, it is one of those interesting things because you can't, it's the hardest thing for us to do is to know the ending and try and work backwards and see what could have been. But if you look at it from their perspective, nothing that Tecumseh was trying for was unreasonable. I mean, it was all highly attainable. Um, and that's where you can kind of drive yourself a little bit, a little bit crazy, but you know, the story of, of, uh, the native peoples in America is, is, is one, one disaster after another as re, you know, really after Tecumseh. Um, it was, it was a genocide, you know, in my opinion, uh, there's ample evidence. We don't like to call it that you know, often too many times in history. We don't like to talk about the things that make us uncomfortable. We all love to wave the flag, but we don't like to look at the stains that might be on it. Um, but for the Indians, that was, that was their, that was the closest they came um, to, to fending off the expansion of, of the United States. And there's just a, a wake of, of broken bodies afterwards. From Garfield's tomb to the serpent mound, from the big cities to the river towns, first in flight making history, there's so many books you need to see, I like reading. I like reading Tippecanoe and Tyler too From the Queen City to Lake Erie Blue Edison and a man on the moon So many books, which will we choose? I like reading I like reading Our book recommendation for today is called Mr. Jefferson's Hammer, William Henry Harrison and the Origins of American Indian Policy. Really talks about Tecumseh and his battles with Harrison uh, and just how tough and, and crazy things were on the frontier back then. 
some of uh, William Henry Harrison's underhanded tactics to gain control of the West, to wrestle it away from the Shawnee and Tecumseh in the early 19th century. Great book. Uh, check that out. I think it came out in about 2012. It's newer. Um, you, know, you can also look at Alan Eckert, the guy who wrote the Tecumseh Outdoor series that we talked about down in Chillicothe. He's got a historical fiction is what he really writes, um, although it's obviously based a lot in history. Um, he wrote a life of Tecumseh called A Sorrow in Our Heart, nearly a thousand pages long um, about all of his battles and triumphs and uh, his life, his 45 years on this earth. So you can check any of those Alan Eckert books out. He's a great writer about the frontier. Again, more of a historical fiction, um, but hey, it's, it is what it is. That'll do it for today, Episode 6, Ohio vs. the White Man. Thank you guys so much. Happy New Year to everybody. Um, we will be back. Our next episode is Episode 7, Ohio versus Rock and Roll. We'll look at four different stories from the history of rock and roll uh, here in the Buckeye State. Uh, we look forward to bringing that with you. Listen to Wartime. Rate and review our show. And rate and review Wartime by Brady Kreitzer. It's so awesome that he came on. Um, again, you can go to wartimepodcast.com. He's got a number of books that he's written that you can also you know, take a look at. Um, but so many great episodes. He, his show is really cool. So we hope to have him on again. Um, and we're going to look and try and find some episodes of Battlefield, Pennsylvania. Uh, if you go to the Wartime feed on iTunes, um, he has some of those now. Some of those episodes from Battlefield, Pennsylvania uh, are, are in there. Um, we just listened to the one about the Flight 93 uh, that crashed in PA you know, on 9-11. Very cool episode. But again, listen to his show. Rate and review our show. Uh, season 2, we're, we're almost halfway through it already. I can't believe it. Um, again, shows are released every other Monday. So this show is released, I believe, January 8th. The next one's the 22nd, and so on and so on. So go ahead and subscribe to the show. Then you don't even have to worry about it. And all the new shows will just pop up. Um, if you want to email us, ohiovtheworld at gmail.com. Again, my name's Alex, and we are at ohiovtheworld at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook. Um, let us know if you have ideas about the show. We've gotten some really constructive criticism you know, over the months. Um, and we do read all that stuff, and, and we'll get back to you and talk to you about anything you want to talk about. So we look forward to hearing from you. This has been Episode 6, Ohio vs. the White Man. Happy New Year to everybody. Take it easy. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.